Hi, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer living in New York City. Hey, I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actress and producer also living in New York City. And, and we, we are Positive, Positive Creativity, Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with writers, directors, and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in this industry. We are looking to shed light on all of the wonderful projects happening in New York and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to talk about their work and to give theater and film lovers the opportunity to learn about more creatives and projects. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you with support from Ahava Theater Company. For more than 20 years, Nicole Franklin was an award-winning filmmaker and television news video editor. She's also directed theater and authored books and articles as both ghostwriter and as herself. We'll speak to her today about her latest passion, podcasting, and she takes on quite a unique topic. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. And um, I'm just, I'm here on a beautiful afternoon thinking about um, all the stuff that I've been up to and it can get overwhelming. So taking time like this just to share with fellow creatives is so important for the soul. So I really, really want to thank you guys. I'm very grateful for you having me on. Of course, it's our pleasure. Um, So to begin... We always start with this larger question. What is currently inspiring you? I would say um, I'm a people watcher. (laughs) And so I'm currently um, in New York City. So, you know, that's the best place for people watching. And um, I just want to get exactly. I want to get into um, what people are thinking about and what kind of situations caused um, that facial expression. Um, It it can be that simple with me, as well as it um, just to sit and observe kind of is an escape from what I'm naturally drawn to, which is being really involved with whatever the news is. So I need to take a step back sometimes, and then I see how everything affects, you know, people. Um, I really love when people band together and um, have this movement, you know, um, group effort to right wrongs. And so I pay attention to the news, and then I look for how, you know, humanity is going to solve it. And that's very heavy, right? So (laughs) that inspires, you know, me a, a lot of ways. But then sometimes just the simple acts of, of how people um, function really, really inspires me um, to be a storyteller and, and to speak, um, on, well, to have them speak through my work and just tell everybody, hey, no, there are people out here doing things um, that are bettering who we are and what we're about. Um, and I'm happy that I kind of have the vehicle to do that. So I'm not looking for inspiration. It just kind of comes just because people are complicated, complex, and um, sometimes pretty amazing. Yeah. I love that so much. And yeah, I I can definitely relate to that. I'm also a people watcher. Um, (laughs) Do you, I'm curious, do you have a, a favorite place or two to people watch? 
Oh, um, the bus. <laughs> I love being on Manhattan buses. <laughs> the windows are big. The buses I are usually that. like really clean. Um, the people that come on the bus are hilarious. Um, and sometimes they just, you know, come come on the bus and just uh, exhale. And, <laughs> you know, when you give them that look and you're both looking at each other like, I know, I know what that, that look is. I know exactly how you feel. But when you're going along the beautiful streets of Manhattan through all the different neighborhoods, um, you could just, it's the best, you know. Sometimes I should just, I want to just hop on the bus and just go the whole 27 miles of the island, you know, <laughs> because it's so fun It's and it's relaxing, you know. Yes, definitely. Now that it's starting to get warmer and more beautiful outside too, like you're giving me inspiration. That's That's something... Maybe in the coming coming weeks, we could actually do that. Take a, take a stroll from one end of the island to the other. But yeah, well, the M1 is great if you want a Manhattan bus, if anyone um, ever travels to Manhattan, because it goes through Harlem, down Fifth Avenue, along Central Park on one side, you know, and the gorgeous structures on the other, and, um, you know, through all the madness of Midtown, and it just, and then downtown. The M1's a great ride. Just a tip. <laughs> noted cool thank you for that yeah that's that's so beautiful yeah um your answer reminds me of one of our other guests um stan zimmerman who is a big time tv writer um he just you know he said that he's not even trying to find inspiration it's just it seems to find him so i think that's very Mm. cool and something so valuable for any creative to just be able to look around and gather inspiration and information from the world around you versus, you know, trying to hone in on something specific, which is totally fine too. But um, I think that's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. What does it do? What, what um, does it for you both? What's inspiring you? That is a great question. It's so funny. <laughs> Alyssa and I recently put each other in the hot seat on our podcast and interviewed each other and started with that question because we're like, now we know how our guests feel when we ask this question. <laughs> What's inspiring you? It's so such a huge question. Oh, man. I guess I would say right now for me, it is the changing season. It is the spring time that's happening and seeing the trees that are starting to bloom it's like things just kind of have erupted. It, it yeah. comes so fast and then goes so fast. The the brief moments of, of spring that we get and same with the fall. Um, so oh, I've been I enjoying agree. just taking walks. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, I, want, I want just like one more month of beautiful 60, 70 degree weather and cherry blossoms and a lot of allergy medication. And, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I would say that for me, walking outside and looking at the changing trees mm-hmm. and walking with my with my dog. We have a an eight month old puppy who oh, is cute. loving being outside oh, in the park. That's yeah. so sweet. Um yeah, I'm definitely inspired by this warmer weather and you know, being able to just be outside and be grateful to have gone through another winter, especially this really tough winter. Um, mm-hmm. 
But for me, I think what's really been inspiring me is, you know, the news cycle is so dark and I'm so inspired by all of the artists that are putting amazing work out into the world to um, push the needle forward and challenge the status quo and to kind of, you know, I've been feeling a little down and a little bit let in in one sense, I'm I'm feeling hopeful and like Mm. we are, you know, at the beginning of the end of the pandemic and all of that. But I've also just been feeling sort of um, heavy, um, feeling the weight of the world. And so watching the artists around me, like yourself, who are creating and just um, being able to take their pain and put it into purpose um, has brought me a lot of inspiration and sort of try to put push it's also pushing me to um to get moving myself and be creative myself uh yeah i would just you know honor that you know i when the pandemic started i had to leave new york go back to um st louis where i'm from because i teach in new york and when the campus shut down and there was that time of will we or won't we show up in person and then everything was shut down i cried I'm like, I'm crying because I can't teach class. And yes, that was overwhelming. You know, I was crying and then I was like, okay, this is different. This is new. And for months that summer, what was that? March through the spring and the summer, I was not inspired actually to write about the pandemic. I had to identify that. I'm like, I'm not writing right now. I'm not touching this subject. Why aren't I doing anything about this subject? This is huge. It's historic. But it did lead me to other things. So, um, but I had to identify that. And it was weird that I was like kicking myself because, (laughs) you know, I wasn't like doing something about that issue. But yes, we needed to step away from it. So totally agree there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in like May or so of last year, I think the Dramatist Guild sent out an email saying that they were looking for pandemic plays. And I was like, hard pass. It's (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, (laughs) not writing about pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, but like five years, 10 years from now, we'll be ready to people will be able to read a play or watch a show about the pandemic. But it feels a little too close to home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no hate. I, I love the Dramatist Guild. Uh, just it reminded what you said reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a bunch of requests going out for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nicole, I'm curious. So you have been working on so many amazing projects. It seems like many of them have actually been happening during the pandemic We'd love to hear about about some of the projects that you've been working on, like your podcast, uh, the Before You Go podcast, and and some of the other things that you've been you've been working on too. Oh yeah, well that was I guess pandemic born. So, <laughs> but actually, uh, yeah, that was actually a direct result of the pandemic. So, I um, was launching a new film project, a film project. I've been a filmmaker for 20 years, been in television for 30 years. And I was going to do a short film about this beautiful person I had heard about through a friend of mine. 
my friend, um, was asking just, you know, at random, she's like, we're, we're having lunch. She's like, how's your mom doing? And I'm like, oh, my mom, um, who was recently widowed, um, um, so my dad passed. And um, I was like, oh, she's doing great. She's like busier than ever. It's crazy because she's a piano teacher. Um, in her 70s. And, and she's got like 24 students right now. And so my friend's like, oh, you know, she reminds me of my granddaughter's teacher. She's 100 and she has 90 students. What? I said, excuse me? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> she's a 100-year-old woman with 90 piano students. She goes, yeah, she's great. I said, has anyone ever interviewed her? She's like, I don't think so. And so <laughs> I said, I've got to meet this woman. She's like, oh, she's wonderful. She's spry. She's originally from St. Kitts. She's full of energy. And I just pictured this beautiful being, you know, and the piano has so much life and history behind it itself. And I'm just like picturing the whole film. I've laid out the whole film before I could even finish the conversation. Right. So she agreed to connect us. And we did connect on the phone. And so um, she says, oh, now, do you want, her name's Maude Carroll. She's like, do you want to interview me? I said, I must interview you. I just think this is incredible <laughs> what you're up to. I can't believe you're teaching all these students. So this was back February, 2020. And so um, she's like, okay, um, when do you want to meet? And I said, well, as soon as possible. <laughs> In that age group, you're like, as soon as possible, right, ladies? So, <laughs> so anyway, so, um, you know, so I um, actually, I don't own lights, a light kit, so I will rent it out and all of that. So I got my gear together, I picked up the light kit, and I drove out to her place, she's in New Jersey, and she thought I was just coming to meet her to see if she was worthy of an interview. I'm like, no, we're doing it. We're just, I already knew that you were worthy of an interview. Come on. <laughs> I'm all set up now. Let's go. And what I do when I do a documentary is, of course, I get the primary interview. And if that person, it's, you know, more their story, I know I'm doing a three to four hour interview. And so that's what happened. I mean, she sat there in front of this gorgeous piano, one of her three in the studio. And all I had to say was, well, we're here, you know, tell me how you're doing and, and um, tell me about yourself. She talked the rest of the four hours because Miss Carol had wanted to write a book about her life. And she spoke in third person, <laughs> which was so adorable. And she took us from literally like birth through now. And she had a horrific, abusive upbringing. Like her, nobody in her camp in, in the studio knew about this. And she'd always wanted to share how she got here. And it was, I was riveted the entire time. And so I've played it back when I got home and I'm just like, oh my gosh, and her voice, I can't believe I got all this, right? So the plan was, of course, it was going to wear out. It was four hours. The plan was to come back when there were students, obviously, get the footage, follow a couple of students in their growth as a piano student, and have a little nice half-hour documentary that I would just champion to the Oscars. <laughs> so I said, I'll be back probably sometime in March or April. Here comes the pandemic. She can't be yeah. around students. Right. I can't be around a 100-year-old. And that was it. We were shut down. But I'm listening. I'm like, her voice is amazing. So in the meantime, 
I'm telling Bryant Monte, my co-host, who's a journalist, and he was in South Carolina at the time. And I, he, he knew I went, obviously, to go to get this interview. And, <laughs> and so, you know, he's like, how'd it go? And so when I was telling him, he's like, wow, amazing. Because he loves interviewing 100-year-olds. So we're both like giddy, like, oh, my gosh. And then she said this, and then she said this. Uh. And so, you know, he's like, wow, wow, this sounds great. I said, Bryant, she is a podcast. Oh. This 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 is a podcast of like, do you know how many 100 year olds we could possibly get and just tell these stories? Because we would sit there all day at their feet. That's just something we have in common and we love it. And I said, do you want to do this? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and that's how it started before you go. <laughs> and so I went back to St. Louis with this recording bought all this audio equipment and um and we started going for it and it, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. What an amazing story and what an amazing way to get started. I'm just there's so much. I don't even know what to say. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Echoing that. Oh my gosh. Also, I mean, I'm just thinking about how many people are there out in the world who are a hundred years old or more than that, even like to be able to find these amazing stories that really, I feel like takes such a, a keen focus and, and just, I feel like what I'm hearing so much in our conversation so far is your openness of mind and spirit to just be like, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know who this Carol is, but I'm just going to go and I'm going to hear her story. And like, whoa, it turns into this whole other thing. That's such, as Alyssa said, too, an amazing story. How many people have you spoken to at this point? Well, we've spoken to probably about seven or eight because we want a season. We're still figuring out that how many episodes should be in a season. I'm sometimes I'm like eight, sometimes I'm like ten. <laughs> so you know, um, yeah, yep. exactly. So um, yeah, so we've we've interviewed you know about seven or eight, and um, what we're finding is every time we talk about it, people say, "Oh, you have to meet so and so." So we have no problem fighting 100-year-olds, which is so funny. And then, um, you know, watch out because we're going to head to Cuba soon because Cuba has a 120-year-old club. <laughs> the 120 oh, club. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, we are going. And Brian's like, uh, Brian's like oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we're like, we have to get that because what's so funny, what I've read, now um, we have to explore further, but what I've read, is that the doctor of Fidel Castro said there was no reason people shouldn't be living to 120 because of the situation with the cars. Like you're not going to have so many traffic accidents with old cars and, you know, the um, restrictions on gas, <laughs> things like that. So it's not the same. And the food, the rationing of the food even. So um, he huh. said it's, you know, totally plausible and apparently it is and there are all these people that are way more than 100 so we're like so looking forward to <laughs> everything opening up and going <laughs> spending like a month wow. like you know just grabbing stories yeah it's like super cool um to hear the wisdom but what i realized also the other day 
I was talking to another um, executive producer of um, actually a radio producer who came to us and loved Before You Go. And I said, you know, the thing about our guests is that there are happy stories. There are tragic, despicable um, human acts that come through their story, as in the case of Miss Carol. Um, And the fact that I'm talking to her at 100 means you can survive it. You know, you can survive. And that's the heroic part of it, you know, that is what we wanted any three act structure of any story that we're doing, whether you're writing your plays or, you know, we're filming a narrative and, um, and just to quickly um, give what happened to her, she was in St. Kitts, the youngest of a, a number of children that her parents had. And her father's sister was in the New York, New Jersey area and said, um, I don't have any children and I want a child to look after me when I get older. Um, can I have one of your children? So he sent his youngest, who was Maude Carroll. And um, she describes how she had a fever coming over, actually, on the boat <laughs> on the way into the harbor, you know. And she said she probably wasn't meant to survive then. She was three years old and coming um, to live with her aunt, who would be her mother. Now, her aunt was married to the nicest man. She said it was never the stepfather. But the mother um, did horrible things. She never knew why. Her mother was gorgeous and um, very fair-skinned. She could have passed um, if she wanted to, pass for white um, when it was necessary. She didn't, though. But um, but sh- there was that, you know, kind of option for some when um, things were really hairy with Jim Crow and everything. And um, she would burn her body. She would burn her. She would discipline her um, with, you know, human feces. It was really unspeakable. And at one point, the Italian neighbor who was paying attention, thank God, said to her mother, you're going to kill her if you keep this up. And she said, she's mine to kill. (gasps) All of this is coming through this tiny, beautiful woman just remembering and sharing this experience. And I was there to record it. And I'm, I was sitting there with my mouth open <laughs> for like four hours. It was, it was something else. And I hope healing for her. I know, I know it's healing for people who listen to it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it sounds like it was something that she really wanted to share. Um, you know, you'd said that she wanted to write a book. And so that's really beautiful that you're creating a space for people to tell their stories. That's so true of any podcast and something that we're proud of, of course, but this is so different. This is so specific. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think that there are not probably not a lot of people asking uh, people that are a hundred and older for their stories in that way and recording them. And it's so amazing that you're doing that and that you're sharing. And like you said, it's it's not only healing for the person, but it's also healing for your listeners and educational for your listeners. So that that is really, really incredible. And, and I have like tears in my eyes from that horrific story. Um, 
I, I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah. But we have happy stories too. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, sure that but that's sure. it's life, right? It's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it makes me so curious. So. I know that you're recording using what did you say, StreamYard? Our podcast. Well, well, we yeah. do our lives. We do some live events separate um, with guests like historians and museum directors. But for our podcast, um, it depends. So if I'm in the field, then it's a lavalier and um, on me and. Sometimes, sometimes I'm caught off lavalier (laughs) and a table mic for the 100 year olds, especially in this pandemic so that I don't have to touch them. So a table mic, a shotgun mic um, and into an H4N Zoom into a little digital recorder. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Okay, because my question was, how has it been with the technology? Because I know um, that you know, it can get hairy, but, but you're doing it mostly in person. So actually, well, we did our last, yeah, our last uh, one that went up that we published episode five uh, (laughs) was, was incredible because our Nate Crump, who is, um, who could have been in the Negro leagues, but he decided he's such a good baseball player, 500 batting average average in a baseball town, St. Louis. And he played exhibition games with the Negro League players. But he said, you know what? They're telling me what life is really like on the road. And I don't think I want that. And I don't know if I can meet as good of a woman as the person who I want to be my wife (laughs) out on the road. So he said he was not going to join. And he became a chemist instead. So he was this fantastic like brain (laughs) going to work on, uh, you know, some NASA projects. Um, He was amazing and um, turned on his own computer, set up his own zoom, you know, (laughs) I didn't have to worry about that. You know, other guests, I'm like, do you have a grandson there? Is your, you said you live with your niece. Can she turn on the computer? Oh, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, I think I'm here. And um, what's this button? Oh, I see. Okay. That mutes me. (laughs) You know, and he only lives in assisted living. He's not in a nursing home. He's in assisted living. He's fantastic. And um, so it depends. But yes, it can get tricky, Alyssa, with the <laughs> technology for sure. Um, yeah, because when, when you're in total lockdown, we still want to do it because, again, you got to do it. <laughs> and um, because of our specialized uh, guests, um, you know, the qualities of our guests there. Um, so it's, you know, it's always a fun challenge. It's production. Yes. Yes. Definitely kind of, yeah, thinking outside the box and ways to to continue to be creative within the, the limitations of, yeah, a global <laughs> pandemic. That That is so, so cool. Yeah. So in addition to the Before You Go podcast, you also recently uh, adapted, uh, it was a novel, correct, for, uh, for the film Title Seven. Am I right about that? I might rephrase it if I'm incorrect. No, no, no. That's fine. Title VII is a narrative feature that I directed because I was looking to do another feature film. I had done shorts. My very first film was a feature-length documentary, but it was time now 
um, what do we say, 17 years later to do, <laughs> you know, a, a feature narrative. And so I did. And because I knew it was going to be funded probably out of my own pocket and then, you know, with some crowdfunding, that's my friends and family's pockets. I said, you know, it has to be a micro budget. So budgets have probably risen since then, <laughs> you know, when it comes to micro budgets. Right. But I knew it was going to be under way under 100 grand. So I had to find material. And so I just kind of put it out there in the universe. I'm like, OK, I'll get to that one day. But it was interesting um, because I had had an opportunity to be a speaker on a college campus in New Jersey. And when I was done with my um, event there, the film chair invited me to lunch. And I thought he was going to ask me to be an adjunct, you know, because like, oh, these adjunct professor jobs, you know, they're cool and everything. But, <laughs> you know, but I said, let me go to lunch. And he said he was looking for a project for his students to work on as crew, not PAs, as crew, serious crew. And I said, well, I am actually ready to do a micro budget. So I'd love to um, take you up on that offer. But can I bring the key crew, my own DP, my own script supervisor? And um, he said, absolutely. I said, well done. You know, we had a handshake deal. Now I needed material. So I had done short films um, across the U.S. on black boys in my little brother film series. And um, I ended up in Tucson, Arizona. And when I found the boys there, it wasn't just me going there and finding them. I had called ahead some resources. And so one woman who had introduced me to one of my subjects she was re a retiring corporate attorney and we stayed in touch, you know, after I finished my wonderful um, tour of Tucson and beautiful people there. And she just happened to call me and she's like, Nicole, I wrote a book. I said, oh, that's awesome. And she said, I'd love for you to read it. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm so swamped right now, but I try to read 10 pages a night of something. So I said, oh yeah, please send it. I, I can't wait to read it. So um, she sent the book, it's called Within the Walls. And it looked like a corporate, like, you know, kind of like thicker than a corporate pamphlet, pamphlet, excuse me. And um, I mean, it was a novel, but, you know, it just kind of had that feel of, oh, here's your corporate instructions of how to behave in the office, right? <laughs> but it was a story and um, it was uh, very PG rated, but did talk about some of the, um, downsides of working with toxic people. There was a scene in the book where um, the black male CEO was stopped by police and the police stop, a traffic stop, had him on his knees. The cops said, get on your knees in front of everyone, this man in a suit. And I, that image couldn't leave my mind and it did it. And then I'm like, wow, when I'm reading the book, I'm like, okay. Okay, these are great characters. I can do something with this. And it's in one location. It's in the office. It's your micro budget. It's got to be, you know, around one location and um, very few characters. And I was like, Daisy, her name's Daisy M. Jenkins. I was like, can I option this book? I'm looking to do a micro budget. Like, immediately. And she said, oh, I knew it was supposed to be a movie. I knew it. <laughs> and so we did a contract. And so I called up the kids and, <laughs> and uh, my DP, um, who's a fantastic Sabelle Martin, 
and uh, my crew, my small crew, and we went over to Fairleigh Dickinson campus, turned their library into Sanger International, and filmed the story Title Seven, which is you know about employee harassment and um, workplace harassment. So, um, which was part of the 1964 civil rights law, but I called it Title Seven because I'm like, hey, if those laws still aren't being followed since the 64, <laughs> you know, this title has a, some life to it, right? It's not going to be changed in the next 10 years. So I think this movie will last a while. And our film's also in black and white. So it adds a bit of timelessness to it. And um, plus, we um, really changed the script. I brought on um, a co-screenwriter, Craig T. Williams. We really changed the script to not PG, but R almost X. (laughs) Because you had to go for it with all of these workplace violations, right? So um, it's quite a memorable roller coaster ride for 72 minutes. And from what this Black CEO goes through through her day, Craig had the brilliant idea to change this person to a woman. We didn't have to change any dialogue. She was still the big badass boss. I got to direct um, a lead who was an anti-hero, <laughs> you know, so the anti-hero story, wow. which I never thought I'd do before, but she was just, you know, she had to go in and uh, prove herself in ridiculous ways and because of everything, and we we um, condensed it to one day, a one day adventure there in the workplace. And because it was so crazy what the lead character was going through, nobody would believe it if this film were in color. So for mm. me, making the film black and white gave it a more surreal quality. And um, the DP was happy because she's like, look, we can move quicker in black and white because we're going to be lighting anyway, obviously. But she's like, some of the things that we can do, it'll be quicker for our setups because we've shot the film in eight days. And we got done. We wrapped every day by six o'clock. So we were on a schedule, but my actors were rehearsed. My actors were fantastic. We had six days of rehearsal, but, um, and three days, two or three days of rehearsal with the crew. So I like to do difficult camera moves before we come to set with actors and, you know, on shoot days. And um, so there was a lot of choreography there. Really fun, though. And um, yeah, Title Seven came out and uh, did a like a 13 festival screening tours. And um, and now it's on streaming channels. So, wow. Oh, my goodness. That is such a huge accomplishment to do. I'm just thinking of the, the time frame you're talking about to shoot all of that within six days, like. Holy moly! For a seventy-two minute film, well, super, eight days, super amazing. Eight, eight, eight days. Give me those extra oh, sorry, two, Lauren. No, I think I remember you wrapped though by six p.m. every day, which is also oh my gosh, yeah, how yeah, rare is to be able to do that. Yeah, one day wow. early, one day by four thirty. Yeah, well, I like oh to do um, one to two takes. And like I said, we rehearse those difficult c- camera moves. So if we had like, you know, right. oh, take it again for camera. I mean, that was rare, too. We had a great um, actually all female camera crew <laughs> and um, it just really moved really well. Wow. That's yeah, that's really impressive. And um, something I definitely would love to see 
it sounds like it is very topical and um, really important. You know, I think a lot of people now that we're working from home are talking about the toxicity in the workplace and how um, we can never go back to before and all of that. And um, I, I definitely think that it is something that will resonate and probably already has resonated with a lot, a lot of people. So congratulations on yes. on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, we um, one thing we, have, we like to do, my company is called Epiphany Inc., is have conversation pieces. We want you to leave our mm-hmm. projects talking, you know, um, having an outlet, knowing other people have gone through similar experiences and that we're here for you. So um, it was always great to uh, show it in front of an audience (laughs) because our film is so wild. A lot of people laugh through it from nervous laughter (laughs) because it's like, what is happening? What is going? What? Oh, no, she didn't. Oh, no. Oh, look at him. Oh, I like that guy. You know, (laughs) and it's just hilarious to watch it with an audience. But because you can't escape, it's right there. You're stuck in that chair. You're forced to, and you have to, you're, you're kind of forced to see how, how is this going to work out? How is this going to work out for any of these people in the, in the office? So it was, yeah, it's a fun ride. Hold on to your seat. <laughs> we will definitely make sure to link the streaming site in the show notes of the episode so people can, can watch and be on the edge of their seats. I'm excited to watch. Yeah, for sure. And so this project, which is an adaptation, has now led to two more adaptations that you're currently writing. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, It's kind of weird. I never thought, oh, I'm just going to adapt books when I write screenplays. I didn't think about it until Title VII. That was my third screenplay. So my first screenplay, um, which I I want to adapt into a play, actually, I should come to you both and see, <laughs> you know, any tips and tricks. Um, but my first screenplay was based on my documentary. So my first screenplay called When Sisters Jump was based on the fact that I had done two documentaries on Double Dutch Jump Rope. And so I just, you know, transferred that knowledge, that experience, that wonderfulness of the people I met into a screenplay. So I didn't think about it as an adaptation. I just thought, oh, everybody's saying this could take another shape. It could be a screenplay. And I'm like, okay, all right, Ron. <laughs> you know, and people kept saying the characters were so great in that, you know, what's going on with that? And I didn't push it so much because I'm like, I want it. I don't know where I can see this, but when I thought, hey, a play, because then you'd have communities all over the world who would have this double Dutch play. I thought that'd be beautiful. So I still have to do that and I want to do it, but that's where I want that. And then my second screenplay was from another documentary that I had done and it's called Bess. Um, And it is about Anne Brown, who is the original Bess of the opera, the George Gershwin opera, Porgy and Bess. And I ended up filming her, getting her life story um, and in the last four years of her life and um, loved her very much, still very much miss her. But people kept saying, this is a screenplay. So I took that material and she wrote a book. 
She wrote an autobiography. It's in Norwegian. It wasn't until I got there in Norway to interview her because she moved to Norway for her um, to marry her third husband. Um, I was sent to Norway to interview her originally with the Center for Black Music Research, who also sent an interviewer, which I'm not used to having. But he was amazing wow. and wonderful and charming and won us both over. And I knew that she had written a, a book in Norwegian, but I was like, we're going over there blind. I mean, basically, I'm her biographer because we're going over there blind. <laughs> you know, there wasn't too much history on Anne Brown, the person that was out there. And when she got there, Bill Brown, no relation, was so charming that she literally went to the back of her house, came to him with the, with the English transcript. She's like, I want you to read my book. So he and I are going through that every night <laughs> before we come back with more questions the next day. So that was fantastic. And then I was eventually sent the book and um, I used material from there as well as what um, she and I would talk about um, and wrote the screenplay. And so with Title Seven, it just came naturally. And then this year I um, have been hired on two projects. Um, and one is um, a biography. Um, it's in sports. I can't talk too much about it now, but it's based um, in, in the sports world. Um, and it's really fun that way. But it's um, because of the book that was optioned. And um, so I'm writing a screen treatment for that. And then uh, another, my producer friend, wanted to work on her friend, who's a prominent person, her book. Um, and she says, I see this as a limited series. So we're working on that. So all adaptations, um, I love like, you know, watching those who have adapted successfully and, <laughs> and say, okay, okay, I get it. I'm gonna have to like read the book. I don't even have time anymore to go back and read the books of some of these movies. But um, the characters are richer, I think. The experiences are raw and real, right? So you can kind of tell when something comes from a book or an experience as in the documentary. And um, and the story, that's the thing. Like, the book can be so vast. The life, especially if you have, like, something like somebody like Anne Brown who lived into her 90s, you know, such so many years, what do you take out for a 90-minute <laughs> screenplay? Um, but I do love finding those moments or finding that microcosm of the story and saying, hey, we can do flashbacks from here because here's the crux of it all. So it's a fun challenge. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I love adaptations. And it's cool because you you also get to the crux of it. Like, what is the theme? What are we trying to say? What do we want people to get out of this? I think that is so cool. Some of my favorite TV shows and movies uh, were books first. Like, most recently, I'm thinking about Little Fires Everywhere, Oh yeah. Uh, well, big little lies as a whole, <laughs> you know, kind of right. same genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, both Reese yeah. Witherspoon, right? <laughs> yeah. I saw little fires. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. It's, it's so cool. That's really amazing. It's, it is a, a different challenge you get, even though it's hard to create something from scratch as when you're writing a screenplay, I think that, um, the boundaries around having to use a story that's already been written and is, is a very interesting challenge. Um, something that I really admire. 
Oh, yeah. And you know, one of the ones that hold up for me, I watched it because I had to show my mother. She hadn't seen it, but I rewatched No Way Out. Did you guys ever see that movie with Kevin Costner? You got to. It's a classic. Okay. So, yeah. You're going to stay through that through the end because it's this roller coaster and it's like based in like the Pentagon and all of that. It's amazing. It's a roller coaster ride. And the end, you're just like, what? And I remember saying, oh, look at the credits. This is from a book because I saw it when I was much younger and that just stuck with me. That's why this movie was so good. It's from a book. <laughs> Plus, Kevin Costner is always like super fun and great cast. You know, Gene Hackman. Oh, my gosh. Go find it. You'll love it. Trust me. And then let me know what you think about it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I feel like now I'm going to be watching everything with a sharper eye and looking at the credits to be like, wait, is that more than we realize, I think, is actually derived from a book or an essay or short stories like it? It is interesting. I've been noticing that more. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say that's the end all be all. I love original stories. I think it's genius when people are able to do it because I clearly haven't done it yet myself. And I'm fine sitting in this world of adaptation. (laughs) But, oh, I completely worship like those who can come up with an original idea and uh, something that's, you know, fully like multi-layered and... Mm -hmm that just just keeps you through the end, like on the edge of your seat. I love that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so I know you have a hard stop, so I want to just pivot a little bit because, you know, I have to ask, we have to ask about your children's book, Ella's Sunday Song. So you've written a children's book. I know it's not published just yet, but before you go, can you please, haha, before you go, uh, could you please tell yeah. us a little bit about it? Yes. So um, earlier, pre-pandemic, like maybe just a few weeks before, um, it was suggested to my mom, um, Was I guess it was suggested to both my mom and I um, to explore this world of spirituals in a children's book. So a friend of mine who had started working um, in her first love um, in children's literature, she called me up and said, oh, you know, I'm um, a literary agent now. I'm, you know, doing children's books. And um, didn't you and your mom have a gospel music publishing company years ago? Like she remembered it, which was so sweet. I'm just like, yeah, we did years ago because my mother's a musician. And um, she thought, let me give people more access to this wonderful church music. And so, um, so we're in touch with um, a lot of musicians and who doesn't love a good spiritual, you know, <laughs> to move you, you know, in a service or just in a commemoration or, um, I mean, the Library of Congress actually has 6,000 spirituals on record from those times of African-Americans, you know, just connecting during the time of slavery um, that all these songs and, and afterwards, but a lot of them coming from that era. So that's something that just teaches so much. And a lot of the spirituals have codes. So that was kind of the premise is that here's, why don't we have a young girl lead us off in this story and she's going to be the soloist that Sunday. And she doesn't figure out until she's rehearsing the song, which is one of my favorite spirituals called steal away steal away home. 
um, that there's a code and she's just now getting it. She leaves her grandmother's house. The choir director where she's going to rehearse at her home is only a few doors down and there's a storm coming. And um, on that trip from her grandmother's house to the choir director's house, passing her um, young friend who is um, a young trumpeter, his name is Franklin, (laughs) Um, she figures out the code of what the spiritual meant and gets a history as a six-year-old about her ancestors. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> it was fun wow. to write it with my mom too. Wow. It was really, I, I made my mom like, I'm like, okay, we it's Friday. This is our writing day. You know, we had to sit down every Friday for two hours and work on it. And we had heard that um, a lot of children's books, especially in like a quasi nonfiction fiction space, has research and bibliographies attached and all of that. So we studied and we called our our scholar friends and we researched and did a lot of background. Um, um, and of course, we see this as a series because Ella's got to grow up. But yeah, her name is <laughs> Ella. And after her grandmother, Luella. <laughs> and uh, it's very, very fun. And um, a lot of it, uh, Ella's little personality comes from my, one of my mother's piano students who is like six going on 40, you know, um, (laughs) and a fabulous singer herself. So we had a lot of inspiration around it. And of course, Steal Away just being a beautiful, beautiful spiritual. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a pleasure to write, obviously, with my mother as well. So we're shopping it. We're shopping it. Um, I don't want to self-publish just yet. Um, but I might just give it six more months and then self-publish. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. So, um, but um, I do have a different agent actually um, in LA shopping it because he's wanting to do, hey, why not a short film? Why not, you know, a play? Why not, you know? So of course, leaving a lot of possibilities open. That's so great. That is just so wonderful. Um, so is it illustrated yet or no, because you're shopping it? Right. As you both probably heard, for some reason, when you send um, a book to a publisher, they're like, don't tell us anything about illustrations. <laughs> it's like right. they want to yeah. hire the artist. And I didn't know that was the case. So I'm like, OK, we won't say anything. <laughs> No suggestions yeah. coming our way. I, I don't know. It's like a publishing thing for children's picture books. I don't know. So, yeah, when we get away from that whole rat race, then uh, there's plenty of illustrators that we'd love to work with, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was news to me in, in my children's book journey. So, um, fun fact, listeners. <laughs> right? Isn't that yeah. wild? Wow. <laughs> that is wild. I did not know that wow fascinating yeah i also had no idea i i learned something new about spirituals i didn't know that there was a code like Mm -hmm. that that is huh that's really really interesting well it's what was the covert way of how to escape right and um yeah so there's about eight of them that they're truly coded that scholars and academics for years have been decoding. Um, of the 6,000, I'm not saying all of them have codes, but if mm-hmm. it's about meet here or head north, um, you know, wow. still still yeah. away, still away home. I ain't got long to stay here. 
You know, my Lord, he calls me, uh, you know, the trumpet sounds within my soul. There's going to be a sound tonight that's going to say, let's go, you know, so definitely. Wow. Yeah. You know, I hear a lot of themes of music and legacy and um, preservation in your work in the various different things that you're working on, which are all so different. Those are just little seeds that I feel are consistent throughout. Would you agree with that? I think you got me. (laughs) (laughs) I've not defined myself that way. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, she's holding up a mirror to me. Yeah, that that's true. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I agree. So, Oh, and um, let's talk about spiritual. Follow the drinking gourd. That's another spiritual. It's a big dipper. Oh, what? Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) The way the big dipper is shaped. Yeah. So follow the drinking gourd is a spiritual that you can listen to the lyrics of. And again, it's it's the map of how to get to where you're going. Wow. <laughs> but yes, I, I do love legacy. Legacy turns me on. <laughs> yeah, I can see why. That is very cool. And I think, yeah, my mind, my mind just got blown. That is very yeah. cool. You too. Um, well, Nicole, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has oh. been such a pleasure to get to know you and to hear your story and all of the amazing projects that you're working on. I, wow. I, it's really, really impressive to see the, the projects that you had going on before the pandemic, but also the new projects that were really inspired by, by this situation, this challenging year that we've been in and that you've been able to create so many, so many remarkable pieces of work that I am so sh- I'm sure have been and will, will continue to inspire audiences. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And ditto. Yeah, we're all out here. Humanity is pushing us forward. (laughs) Yes, echoing everything Lauren said, I'm so impressed. And your work is really impressive and inspiring. So thank you for taking the time to share with us today. I am so um, happy that we spent this time together. I really, um, like I said, we just need these little sister circles sometimes, you know, just to (laughs) shoot the breeze and just remind each other that, yeah, we, we have a purpose. It gets tough sometimes, but it's pretty glorious when it comes out and uh, people respond, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.